Hello, I'm Jensen Bueller. I'm Quentin Molson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. Two Enthusiasts Podcast. And you thought we forgot about minor jokes. <laughs> Not minor jokes. Minor, minor jokes. jokes. No, 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 no. You're thinking of minor jokes. I'm talking about minor jokes. Like young children? No, like 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 little men that dig in the earth. <laughs> Uh, Quentin, this week's episode is brought to you by Dainese and AGV, motorcycle gear that is inspired by humans. Right on. Right on, indeed. Uh, Thank you, Dainese. 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 Thank you very much. And AGV. And AGV. There's not like a fun way of saying AGV. Just, no. just oh yeah. AGV. AGV. <laughs> no, that, that's probably frowned upon. We're going right. to get a letter about that. Okay. Quentin, before we get too far into the show, we should give a heads up to our listeners that we, you and I, will be in Austin, Texas for the MotoGP race. And we've got some we've got some stuff planned. It's still kind of forming. I think we're going to do some sort of show. I know we're going to do a show. We might be doing like a live show. So there might be an opportunity for you if you're at the the MotoGP races to come see us do a show um we're putting it together as we speak we were on the phone earlier today pretty i think it's gonna be pretty cool but yeah but but it's like it's a little we're like one or two days too early recording this podcast to really be able to share it with you but we wanted to get it out there because we only have a couple weeks before all this is going to go down just trying to get you prepped but if you're going to be in austin for the MotoGP be ready to uh you know at least do some sort of a meetup or try and um uh, come to our podcast whenever we have it arranged. It's going to be tough to to nail it down as we're both going to be pretty busy there. But yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be sure to um, we'll probably put up a little quick audio cl- clip into the podcast feed. So keep an eye on that. But we'll also be promoting it on social media and on Asphalt and Rubber. So hopefully, if you're in tunes with the internet, so we can get the word out to you. And we hope to see you there in Austin with us. Yeah, and if it's in person, you can you can jeer us. So it'll be steers and jeers. Yeah, Quentin, you know, and I know, but our listenership doesn't know that last week was my favorite week of the year. It was my Christmas, my Super Bowl, my Hanukkah, all rolled into one. Yeah. I love April Fool's. I live for April Fool's. 364 days of misery for one day of happiness. That is my life. And I was out and about, so I didn't get to see any of it because I was not in a, in a way to be viewing the internet, so... Tell me all about it. Tell me about your, your birthday. <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun. Um, we had some good stories out there. I think I think BMW won the internet for the day, though. Yeah, I was surprised by that. That was I had thought that that announcement was somebody else doing that as a joke. The one where they did the X Drive, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, hybrid. the fact they call it the X Drive is the best. So what we're talking about is BMW's April Fool's prank was a press release that said that they were going to come out with a new model for the R1200GS, the flagship model of their line, with the X-Drive, which is BMW's branded all-wheel drive, hybrid electric, so it'd be electric front-wheel driven two-wheel drive motorcycle. Very clever. Very clever. And it's good because uh, Wunderlich. 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 Um, <laughs> uh, the Wunderlich people... Did a concept of this, what, like a year ago? Is that when we got all hung up on it? Maybe a little bit longer. It was earlier. It was like early days of the Two Enthusiasts podcast. Yeah, it was probably September or October yeah. of uh, Yeah, so 15. maybe like a year and a half ago. Yeah. But they did this. They built this 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 bike, and it was it was a big deal. I think it was around 
new bike season. So yeah, September, September ish. I think it was around the intermot time. And, um, I, you know, someone at BMW must've filed that away as Hey, this would be a good, a good April fool's prank because they, they did it. They sent it. Don't be silly. <laughs> Don't be silly. You know, I'm going to send it. <laughs> um, it was, it was a, it was a masterclass press release cause it was believable. Yeah. You know, and like they did a little, <laughs> they did a little photoshoppery and like you had like that. I think they perfectly, like, this is the whole thing with April fools, right? You got to start out slow. You got to start out like real, like, Oh, we're coming out with the new, we're coming out for new motorcycle. Yeah. It's going to be a hybrid. Yeah. You make gonna, it believable. You make it believable. Like, like, and then it'll allow you to go off road where you weren't able to do go before and the advantages of two wheel drive. And then you got to kind of like up it a notch and like you get a little bit crazy. You're like, Oh yeah, you can take it into the snow. It'd be great in the snow, snow up to three meters in depth. And that's when, and that? then It was like a meter and a half or something like that. And nice. like sitting there going like five, huh? five feet of snow. Like, like I'm going to be up to my neck. Like really? And they just kept ratcheting it. And I think they did. They, they walked that line between like truth and lie. That was, that was so good. Like a connoisseur like me just really <laughs> appreciated it. And it caught a couple people out. It caught a couple publications <laughs> publishing the press release as fact, which is, which is, that's which the, best. is the best. That part. means it works. That's the best. But that's how you know you did a good joke. That's how you know you get joke. Or, or if Eric Buell calls you really angry, that's how you know you did a good joke. <laughs> I am a horrible person and everyone in the industry hates me on April Fool's Day. But yeah, I was there were some good jokes. What was all what else out there caught my eye? Um Oh, I like Triumph. Triumph had a good one. The steering wheel the handlebars. Steering wheel handlebar that was it the handle wheel, I think is what they called it. <laughs> that was that was tastefully done. They, yeah, and they set up a little website for it too. That's good. Uh I like that. Um our Canadian friends at Fort Nine. See, I didn't know what that was, and I still don't know it. I watched the video; it was very good. You got to up your YouTube game for sure. Oh, I yeah. think we both do. My YouTube game's pretty weak too, but I've heard of, I've heard of their channel before. Um, we need to have our own channel. We should have our own. Channel. We need to chan- we, we need to send that. We need to channel our our social medias and get on it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but they did a good spoof of them getting acquired by Revzilla, and then there's a little. I think there's a little rivalry between them and Revzilla and the Common Tread. Just in the terms that they're in the same kind of video space doing the reviews. Common Tread? Common Tread's Revzilla's kind of media entity. Okay. Um, I guess I should know that, but... I'm you should probably know. Well, know. I mean, you should know it because, like, Lemmy. Lemmy's a really cool guy. But that Spurgeon guy, nobody likes him. I don't know what you're talking you about. Don't, you don't need to know who I'm talking about. No one likes Spurgeon. Okay. You just, just, just understand that. If you ever meet someone named Spurgeon in the industry, understand that no one else in the industry likes him. <laughs> It's just, it's just, a, it's a thing. His name's Spurgeon. His name's Spurgeon. Sorry. It rhymes with Sturgeon and Surgeon. And Spurgeon. It's like, it's like his parents like couldn't decide which name to go with. So they just picked the worst possible iteration. <laughs> Ouch. God damn it. That's so mean. <laughs> he can't help himself. He can think, right? I mean, he could be cool. He, he could be cooler. Yeah, I mean, I'd change it. I'd I mean, like, I would totally change that yeah, name. Right. You can change, I would change my name to Hellcat. <laughs> just just to go 180 with it. Just pick the most instead, like instead of being a sturgeon, you'd be the creature that catches sturgeon. <laughs> Spurgeon. 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 Like Spurgeon sounds like 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 you go in, you're at the clinic and the doctor comes in and <laughs> you're surgeon. You're surgeon even. And it's like Jensen, that that mass on your foot. The test came back. It's a Spurgeon. <laughs> oh, so we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to cut it off of you. They're gonna have to do surgery on the Spurgery. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's well played. 
See, I knew you'd get on board with this train. I knew you get. I knew you were gonna get on board with the Spurgeon hate. I can't believe that. That's so awful. I feel so bad. Oh God! You haven't even met the poor bastard. <laughs> but the video. See, I don't even know because I don't pay attention to this stuff. Again, when you're in the industry. I don't need to watch videos about helmets and yeah. and all the crap that they do at Revzilla. So I've watched a couple of them, and they're it's mildly not, it's amusing. It's crap that they do, but I know what you're saying. Not, it's really good. No, and all right, uh, seriously, filter off. What they have done is amazing and really good, and I and that's why they are successful. So filter back on. With the crap that they do, I don't watch because I don't need to because I know the stuff generally. And I, unless unless they're doing something I've not never seen before, I don't understand. Right? I don't need to see the features and benefits of you name the helmet or boots or whatever. So I watch this video and the and the person's obviously mocking multiple different people, I guess, and it's pretty good. So you should watch that. What is it? Fort Nine. Fort Nine. Yeah. And and they're a Canadian like and they do they do the same thing or do they do ride videos? Or? They do all sorts of videos. Yeah, they do all sorts of things. I guess we gotta um, we gotta sort that out. How tos and reviews and just like, hey, we, we're on bikes and we're riding, we're ripping and tearing. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, fucking sending it, sending it, eh? Don't be don't be silly, eh? All right, they need to have the. We do need to figure out a way to get some full on Canadian tuxedos. Perhaps that might be something for Austin if it's chilly enough in Austin. Yeah, the weather does get a little chilly in Austin, so we it can be. Yeah, we. I feel like living in Portland, it wouldn't be hard to find some some good. Oh dinner. no. We're blocks away from Goodwill, man. Yeah. Like literally blocks away. We could yeah. walk there t- tonight and go get a full Don't Canadian tuxedo. Don't tease me, Quentin. Yeah. yeah. That'd be good. It could fappen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I thought his uh, his Anthony Bucci was spot on. Is that the main person? That's the main guy, yeah. I mean, it was like Jersey Shore perfect. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, what else did I see that was really good? Uh, my colleague David Emmett had a good one about Qatar. Again, I, see David. David knows how to craft a good. Yeah, he makes April completely Fools. plausible ones. Absolutely. Right? So you know, after the the rain soaked near disaster of the Qatar GP, a lot of talk about rain at LaSalle. A lot of talk about track conditions. So you know, his store is like, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna move the race early into February. The track's gonna get resurfaced, and we're gonna. We're going to put in a subterranean radiant heat system to get rid of the, the water. And he just just layers it on perfectly just to just to get you right at the end. So it was good. It was good times. I, I really enjoyed um, all the stories that were out there and all the shenanigans. I'm sure Ducati and Aprilia did not enjoy my stories, but that's just fine. Um, Quattro Formaggi. Quattro Formaggi. See, that uh, was your idea. I, that's that the funny thing idea. is the irony. I don't remember even saying that, even though I, I kind of in the haze, the fog of war. Do I remember saying that just because it's funny? Kind of. No, Quattro Formaggi is one of my favorite pizzas in the, I think it's called Blue Star. It's a little pizzeria next to Hotel Amadeus in Bologna. <laughs> Hotel Amadeus. Which is where you stay if you're at part of any Ducati thing. Like if you're, Working at the factory, when we would go to do trainings, we'd stay. You walk down to the, from the factory. It takes about fifteen minutes. It's a cute little hotel that's very. Yeah. yeah. I will. I would say post-war. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's a good way of describing it. Post-war because World War Two really is a defining feature in your hospitality accommodations in in Italy and and for a lot of Europe, truthfully. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's kind of blocky and and communist ick communist desk seriously just kind of like what you would expect 
Well, yeah, section housing to be after. <laughs> well, and you got to understand too, like Bologna is a very socialist, gnarly city. So, like, gnarly. it kind of had a little bit of a communist leaning post war. Sure, Bergazzi and- Rossi. Have you ever heard of that? No. You should uh, look that up. Bergazzi Rossi, the Red Brigade. Oh, okay. Super hardcore communists. And I always thought, or in the you know, this is 15 years ago, I wanted to make a Rossi fan club called the Bergazzi Rossi. Of course you would. Of course you would. <laughs> that is that is the perfect intersection of wordplay and assholery. <laughs> that is your life. <laughs> so I wanted to have it. And the best part is their, their symbol is like an AK-47 black on, and just the shadow of an AK-47 on a, on either a red star or red something or other. And that was going to be for me, it was going to be like a yellow on blue or something. Oh man. And I've, I just never got on it. Cause I'm really not, I'm a fanboy, but I'm not that much of a fanboy. But you're anyway. a pretty big, you're a pretty big fanboy. Bologna is a really interesting place for multiple reasons, but we talk about Ducati too much on this <laughs> podcast true. anyway. So That's true. we'll just have to go get, get off of that. Drink but. your drinks. If you're playing along with the, uh, yep. two enthusiast drinking game right. and we'll move along. So Quattro Formaggi, obviously four cheese, four cheese, not obviously, four. but Quattro. Well, you should know it's in it's in the the pizza aisle. Yeah. at your local Safeway. Okay. So <laughs> sure, you I do say not that. feel bad if you fell for that one one bit. You say that, but I don't. You know don't eat enough you. carbs in your diet if you if you didn't get that joke. If you if you ever happen upon the uh, Stella, it's not Blue Star. It's just Stella. Even though I think the the star there is blue. So Stella Pizzeria down the street from from Ducati, right next to Hotel Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus. Yeah, rock me. They have a fig. They have a pizza that has figs and almonds on it. Mm-hmm. It is unfucking real, and I'm gonna cuss on that one, and it's gonna stay. It's unfucking real. There's so much good there. It's a, it's a re- legitimately amazing place to eat. So you should try that if you go to visit the. Uh, if you go and visit the factory, you should go there for sure. Yeah, walking distance to the factory. Yep. Yeah. Uh, moving right along because I'm looking at my show notes, Quentin. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. See, I make notes for myself. You're supposed to make notes for other people. I have them. I just haven't figured out a way to do anything with them. Right? You mean like post them to Facebook? I guess that is that what you need me to do? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Uh, you know what I did this week? I did one of my favorite, my other favorite task in the world other than April Fool's articles was working on my Husky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got yeah. all the oil out of that air box. Took about. Did you? No, of course not. Don't, don't be silly. <laughs> don't be silly. <laughs> I'm not going to send that. <laughs> no, but I did. I did do a lot of uh, wrench time. Speaking of wrench time, popped my back out while doing it. Yeah, that was a bad. Deal. I heard that happen. Oh my god, I cried. It would hurt so bad. I've still. I I looked at my back. I have bruises. It looked like I got hit with a baseball bat. It's crazy. I'll show you after the show. It's a good time. I don't. But don't like you, could, it felt like a baseball was under my skin, and now I've got another one uh, closer to the to my spine. It's been weeks of recovering from it no, i'm sorry to hear that so note to self next time you try and lift an r1 you do it with your legs and not your back yeah they're they're they are serious when they say that and no lift and twist i'll say that yeah the last time i threw my back out it was a lift and twist so what were you doing i was putting a, a normal size weber grill on the back of my no, truck that's way boring right? i was hoping for a good story yeah sorry that's how it is though right it's never anything yep. cool it was just lift and twist <laughs> oops there i went Good part of the story is that happened on like a Saturday, and on Monday I was due to ride Panagales at uh, in New Orleans, or something like that. It was like close enough to where it was going to be problematic, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I was so bummed. It was the first Panagale 
sales training. These well, are the, the dealer thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's going to be the first ones in the United States. I like how we automatically gravitate back to Ducati. Yeah. Right. Well, that's why it's, it's a drinking game. I'm sipping right now. Sit, drink. What, right. are you, what are you sipping, by the way? Mm. I am sipping Firestone Sticky Monkey Central Coast Quad. That's what it's called. And it's really complicated. Here, here's a description of it. Brewed with a Belgian candy sugar and aged in a selection of fine bourbon barrels, Sticky Monkey trailblazes its own category as a <laughs> Central Coast Quad. And it was provided to us by Mark Aguilar, who lives in the area of Firestone. I've been to this winery up uh, in the San Inez Valley above, uh, what is the? Santa Barbara. Yeah, but what is that town? The the Jensen Paso town. Robles? Oh, Solvang. Yeah, it's near Solvang. Yeah. You can go to Solvang and have a cookie in Jensen Square. Well, it'll be Jensen Square. Jensen. Jensen. Yeah. You got you to gotta say it like my mother when she's mad at me. Jensen. Oh man! If my Jensen mom goes, my, my mom goes Danish on me. I am in so much trouble. When I go Danish on you, I just have a delicious treat. <laughs> We're just gonna move right along. <laughs> Speaking of things that are Scandinavian, oh uh, yeah, got the husky rolling. Yeah, it was good. I'm working on the forks this week. Gonna get that thing primed and ready for the Supermoto opener uh, this weekend in Portland, which is probably gonna be rained out because that would be my luck. But yeah, sure. we're gonna keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Yep, right. Uh, Quentin, we did uh, we did a group activity, you and I. We yeah. went down to Wilsonville. Yeah, great place. Great place. Named after is it named after you and your family? <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm new to I'm new to Oregon, so I don't know I don't know the history of everything here. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it, no. I would just assume it's named after a tennis ball. Is it really? Like the guy from the guy from uh, Castaway. Wilson! Yeah, that's a, that's a volleyball. I'm that's a sorry! different. That's a different city. <laughs> that's a different city. That's a different city. Oh. Yeah, this is the tennis wow, ball one. Man, who knew? Who knew? But yeah, it was cool. It's something. So we went to the World of Speed, which is a motorsports museum or, or motor mo- motor museum. Really, it's just yeah, but I, it's motorsports. It's motorsports only, but it's mostly. There's a lot. Of, yeah, there's a lot of race cars, but. In it, when we went, were indie cars from all eras, which was really cool. Super cool. Uh, world land speed record cars, including the Challenger. I think it was the Challenger too, but I can't remember Mickey Thompson's Challenger. And actually, there was multiple Mickey Thompson uh, land speed cars, which is of note. But there was a, a couple of really cool drag racers cars, uh, a re- couple of really interesting Hondas uh, race cars from like the '90s, including a CRX. Parker Johnstone CRX. You're going to have a Parker Johnstone story. So between he had that and then like one of the Spicer Acuras, which was really interesting, and then NASCARs. And and the reason why we were invited was because they had put in a, a specific motorcycle installation. So that was kind of like the, hey, you guys should come and check this out. And it was really neat to see that. It was, of course, cool. Uh, but the the bulk of it was like these amazing, this, this amazing collection of cars that was neat. So... Yeah, I would say it definitely slants more towards uh, the, the the car world than the bike world. There was what twelve, fifteen bikes on display, and I don't know how many cars. There's a lot of cars. Yeah, hard sure. to count. Huge facility. Um, but what I liked about it was it wasn't just like any one thing. Like I've been to Barber, uh, the Barber Museum, which is epic. I've been to the Indy Museum, which is uh, epic. Um, but they're all very focused on on just kind of certain segments whereas 
I think it was cool to see World of Speed having those Indy cars there. And actually tonight they're unveiling the uh, their muscle car exhibit. The Indy cars are gone now, but they're bringing out uh, American muscle cars. So it was cool to see those mixed in with, the, I mean, they had a, uh, a trophy boat. One of those like hydroplaning trophy boat, yeah, open water trophy boats. And this one was a piston engine one. A lot of those they look like pickle forks. A lot of those are are now um, uh, turbine, you yeah. know, jet turbines. This was one of the ones that was like a you know Rolls Royce uh, Merlin V12 or V16 or whatever the heck it was. I didn't even pay attention. An engine that's bigger than this living room. Yeah. Um, and there's only a few of those that still exist that actually run as piston engine when they do those, uh, drag races and or road, or, I don't know, they call it road race, but it is a circle course. Um, if you've ever had a chance to go to that, or if you haven't, you should, uh, seafarer in Seattle, it's well worth checking those things going and for in person, they're absolutely worth checking out. That, that is a, a form of racing that I find to be bonkers. Just, just cause like those boats, they get out of the water and the way the aerodynamics is, if you get, you get a little oh, crossed up's the wrong word. Cause it's not handlebars and stuff, but like you get a little bent out of shape, man, you are catapulting, somersaulting through the air at hundreds of miles an hour. And I know from just sailing, like when you hit the water at 30, 40 miles an hour, it's like concrete. It's like concrete. So I can only imagine what, what a hundo does to you. And man, gnarly, gnarly, yeah. but cool to see, cool to see this mammoth boat up, up close. I get a kick out of it as, as a water person. They had uh, a few stock cars, a few NASCAR stock cars, like you said, drag racers. So it's, I think the phrase I was looking for when we were there was like, it was like intersectional, motor fandom you know like you go yeah. in like we obviously went there to, to go see the bikes but there's a lot of things if you're just a general have a general interest in internal combustion i think you know, there's a lot there for for people to enjoy and then they had a i think there's one wall was uh the history of land speed records at bonneville and land speed records in general and they had another wall that was kind of like a lot of history um some of the first female racers and prominent female racers uh, throughout motorsports and, um, kind of, uh, there are a couple little different points that showed, uh, different eras in time for, for racing. Lots, lots of cool things. And my, and the highlight for me was seeing the Parker Johnstone stuff because I have a personal connection to, to Parker Johnstone. He was one of my, uh, dad's patients actually growing up. And he sent me when I was like, oh, I don't know, like, I was going to say six, but I might be eight or nine. I mean, super young. Uh, you know, sent me like kind of this huge, like six foot long poster of his Acura NSX GT lights car, which ended up being the car that, uh, he won most of his races in. So Parker Johnson, I think is the winningest, the, the winningest driver ever in, in professional race car driving. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And, uh, a lot of those race victories were in this car that was happened to be at the museum or a version of the car was at the museum. So it was cool to see that because, you know, I looked at that on, on my wall as a kid and it had the cool message, you know, Jensen, see you at the races. And, uh, I wouldn't say is the reason I'm, I'm here today doing this podcast with you, Quentin, but it, it's definitely a big part of it. It definitely got me into cars and into, to motors, which eventually led to me getting into bikes, which obviously spiraled into asphalt and rubber and the two enthusiast podcast. So it was very cool for me to kind of have that connection and, and to know that he's a local area native and, and still around is, is awesome as well. Yeah, he was. Uh, he left professional sports car racing having set the all-time IMSA race win record at 54 victories. Okay. So at the time, that IMSA was a really big deal. 
back in the late 80s, early 90s. And that was something that I was watching. My parents were really heavily into car racing. So um, I knew a lot of those cars. I was a big fan of the Audi all-wheel drive Quattro race cars, yeah. which were racing against some, uh, you know, just normal rear-wheel drive cars. And I loved Willie T. Ribs and Parker Jonestone was part of that. And it was a, yeah, a good good thing to see it in person there. It transcends the motorcycle side for sure. Just being in around the vehicles and seeing all that stuff, being able to see the IndyCar engines and all the turbos and Cosworth DFVs oh, and man. so cool, so cool to see the different technologies that were coming yep. through IndyCar. Different aero packages. If you're really into it, you get to kind of understand. Oh, that's a that's a circle track car, or that's a road race car, or whatever. And then the bikes they have on display. It isn't. It isn't that many compared to the cars, but there's a, a, a lineup of Ducatis from Moto Corsa, drink, drink. and then uh, <laughs> a lineup of classic super bikes from like the 80s era, uh, provided by Tom Young and a couple others. And Tom Young's a local to Portland. He's like the industry stalwart for, for motorcycling here. He was the trackside support for a long time. He's generally rad dude. And, and he has a museum that he opens up the first thursday of every month in the summertime that's in north portland and it's worth checking out because it's got a lot of classic stuff in it and he pulled out a few uh, including an rc30 that's as original as it gets like all the all the dealer stickers still on it all of the um uh, reflectors still on it something you'd never ever see it was pretty cool the only way that bike could get more like off the showroom floor is if you put a like the, the for sale price sticker on the yeah. handlebar kind of thing, you sure. know, the tag. Yeah, sure. Or whatever whatever plastic it came in in the crate, right? So it was pretty cool to see that up on display for a lot of people to see who might not otherwise get to get introduced to that, right? It's neat. A couple of cool race bikes from Zlock, uh, which is, again, a Pacific Northwest road racing outfit that was well known. Well known in the, uh, still is, they still race, but back in the 90s, I mean, I knew who they were living in Texas and then being in LA, Zlock was a, a well-known entity and a couple of uh, uh, young racers named Pinkstaff, uh, Kevin and Brian, their their uncle, uh, Keith, was the rider of one of these bikes. And so it's storied Pacific Northwest stuff. And then the last one, it was a bunch of weird older stuff. I can't remember the exact, but um, single cylinders. One was a Perea. Yeah, that was a Perea oh, was that had cool. been retrofitted with a with a um, uh, the dustbin fairing. The dustbin, yeah, dustbin yeah. fairing. So that was interesting to see how the dustbin fairing was put on, and it was cool. It's good. So it's worthwhile to see that stuff if you're a moto fan. But beyond the moto fan, just going there to see the other stuff. And they had a couple of cool simulators that you could get in. It was cost a little bit to get into. I can't remember how expensive it is to get into the. Well, like ten bucks or ten fifteen bucks. But you're sitting in a real Indy car or real NASCAR. They had a couple different variations. Or a real Lotus. Yeah, yeah. Like a little Lotus from the With the full 60s. panorama wraparound. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I was stoked just in the sense that, one, I've driven by it like, I don't know, two dozen times and always kind of wondered, hey, I wonder what that is. Yep. So to finally go in and, and see it and, and to see how big it was, and it's, it's fairly new. Um, so everything's very modern and, and and nice inside, and it's a really nice facility, and um, it's well curated, and you can get pretty close to the cars. You can get pretty close to everything. I think it was really well done, and I just like the fact that there's something like that here in the Portland area. Not to you know keep harping on the you know Portland local thing, but you know we are outside of the the motorcycle industry, but we do have a good core kind of thing going on up here between 
Motocorsa, Icon, CC, The One Show, uh, uh, Asphalt and Rubber, and the Two Enthusiasts podcast, obviously. <laughs> um, but 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 to have like this as another element, like now I can like when like friends call and be like, hey, what's what should we go see and do in Portland? I'm like, oh yeah, I've got a good motorcycle thing for you to do, other than just to like kind of go around and see some of the places that. Yeah, grab a coffee at CC. Okay, well, that's, you know, an hour of your time, maybe. And beyond well, even all that stuff, uh, and the, the history would be also Kenny Dreer started the new Norton here um, 15 years ago, uh, 15 to 20 years ago. Moto Sizz was of note to happen in Portland. Yeah. Uh, latest, George Latest and his dealership, as far as a Harley Davidson entity, he's spent a lot and he's done a lot for motorcycling, racing as team latest whether it be flat track or road racing so there the the stuff that's up here is um a, as prevalent as anywhere else in the country for sure even though it rains quite a bit of time out of the year relative to everywhere else so that's of note that's cool yeah i like shining a light on it because i do think it gets lost sometimes so it's cool to see world of speed and thanks for having us out and you know thanks to Ron Hughley, the curator, for for showing us around, and we had a good conversation with uh, Sally Bainey, one of the co-founders. So yeah. good people, good times. If you're in the area, you should check it out. Um, Quentin, I know you had a busy weekend last I week. Did. Why don't you tell our our listenership what uh, you were up to? Because it sounded pretty pretty awesome. I went to as a representative of Alto to go put on demo rides. Me and my buddy Christian, who just started working at Alta. Went out to the Desert 100 in central Washington, and I didn't really know much about this other than I'd heard about it, being local, that there's this big off-road ride um, that happens in the middle of nowhere, but I hadn't really understood what the scope of it was, so I got to see it firsthand. I thought it was like a normal enduro where you'd get, I don't know, maybe 100, maybe 200 riders to... um, you know, post up and, and go for a uh, uh, an enduro ride that's 100 miles. Okay, that's awesome. That's rad. This was far beyond that on pretty much every level. It was thousands of people. Um, there were two waves that resulted in 1,000 and uh, maybe 1,100, 1,080, 1,100 riders actually. Combined? Yeah, wow. total. Two waves, right? Um, and that, so that was just the people who raced on Sunday. There was a dual sport ride on Saturday. There was a, um, a kids slash family ride on, on on Saturday morning. There was another some sort of race, or uh, no, it was a it was basically a poker run where you could do a couple loops. And they used varying levels of this track or course. The dual sport ride went off into the hinterlands. Um, the cool thing about this is that this one landover last name is King. I don't remember the first name opens up their property for the local club, which is called the Stump Jumpers, to to provide a place to ride out here. And I think this is why nobody knows about it, is because the Stump Jumpers are, they're just a local club for dirt bikers, and they make, you know, a certain amount of money doing this, but they don't really have to promote it. They get a lot of people going there, and they don't, it's just not a well-promoted, like, in-the-industry thing yet. But you know it if you're in the dirt bike realm, especially if you're an enduro-style person that likes to do long-distance stuff. So to be able to go out and see this firsthand was superb, let alone be able to participate in it as a vendor um, to get uh, people test riding the Altas, which was really fun. 
So that was a that was an impressive thing. And what blew my mind the most was the sheer amount of weirdo dirt bikes. Because you know me, I like weirdo stuff. I own a Christini. If if I could go and buy a brand new dirt bike, it would probably be a Husqvarna four stroke after buying an Alta, right? But I'd want a weirdo thing. But after this, I was like beta. There's betas and they're all over the place. I I've never seen. I don't think I'd ever really even seen a beta other than at an IMS show. They're I don't even weird. know. I don't even know where you go buy one. Yeah, I, there's a couple couple few dealers out there, but it's a weird one. Gas gas. There was a a ton of gas gases, and that's a, a Spanish brand that's gone up and down through its uh, travails over the past couple of years. But there was a, a ton of them out there. Two stroke, four stroke. The sheer amount of two strokes in general. So. There was probably, my guess is 35 to 40% of the bikes out there were KTMs, right? So kick tail Monday all, all day long, right? But then after that, uh, Honda and Yamaha were about equal. Yamaha probably edging them out because there's a lot of good off-road Yamahas right now. They're, yeah. They make an excellent product. Uh, the YZ450s are you know, just rad. YZs and WRs have been been doing quite well for them. Yeah, they and you can tell why because they have a they have a presence. They were out there with demo bikes. Oh, were they really? Yep. Oh wow. Uh, uh, Reigns was the last name of the person. I can't remember his his first name, but a, a, a well known Pacific Northwest racer that has since moved on, and he he mans the demo truck for them. Um, and they had all kinds from all the way from the 450 down to to small bikes, right? I don't think they had a PW, but it was nearer, right? Maybe a, a YZ85 or something like that. It was, so it was cool to see that. But they were the only ones, the only people that had any representation from a from a um, like a participating in the event were Yamaha and Alta. Then uh, Gas Gas had their tent there, and that was really cool that's to see. Cool. Yeah. It was. It was. It was surprising. All, everybody was there. It was like, wow, that's really neat. Here's the thing, right? Like, if a brand like Gas Gas can show up to an event like that, there are zero excuses for any other brand not to be there. Uh, that's you know? what I said. Even it, you know, it makes sense for us. We're trying to break the Alta's trying to get into the. We need to get it in front of as many people as possible because most people don't know about it. So, okay, I get that for for gas gas. You know, it's a significant expense. They have to have a, a couple of big tents, have all their bikes, whether it be uh, trials bikes or enduro bikes, and that's all they make. They're not like a supercross bike maker. They had they, they had both bikes with them there. Though? Yeah, they okay. had a couple of the the two stroke, which I I don't I don't know their product range, but I think it's two fifty and three hundred. I don't know why there's redundancy there, but. For, for the trials? Yeah, no, that would be oh, for, for the, the Enduro. For the and then okay. the trials is whatever size trials, and there was a couple different iterations of that. And then they also had like an air-cooled trials bike. So there were two Trick, Gnarly, uh, four-stroke, or I I shouldn't say four-stroke. I, I, I should say water-cooled bikes. And then I saw one um, one air-cooled of some sort. It might be just a simpler version. Sorry, I'm, I don't know. I don't know the product range because it's just a that out of all the motorcycling out there. That's probably the most on the fringe, right? Uh, trials riding is just really strange. It takes a which very a dedicated sh- person. Which is a shame because trials riding is so amazing. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. So for sure. amazing. But it's very difficult if you've ever, I mean, our friend AJ had one. I rode it around. I, I don't know what the heck I would do with something like that. I would. I need a class. I would love to be able to have a class because what? I can't sit down. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't, I don't have clutch control or throttle control enough to be able to even pop up over something in my head. So it's a tough one, right? I'm used to 
having to interact with the bike with a seat in my legs. It's really interesting to see that. They didn't have a course setup or anything. They just had those, those bikes there. But it was cool to see Gas Gas that, get there and have a, have a conversation with one of their reps, a guy named Jubal, who who's based out of, um, he's based out of Idaho, but they are based out of South Dakota, of all places. That's where Gas Gas corporate headquarters is. It's some, I can't even die for, for even the know. importer. Yep. Yeah. They're out of South Dakota. Just, I guess it's uh, cheap. Very uh, close to the Minnesota border. So that was neat to see all that. And then all the vendors and thousands, and I'm not even exaggerating. It was at least a thousand, if not more than I can. I, I, the pictures don't do it justice. Thousands of trailers and trucks, because this is really remote. You're 10 minutes from the nearest little town. The nearest little town doesn't even stay open. There is not a stoplight in the town. Then after that, you, there's like 100 miles in any direction till you get to anything even with a stoplight, right? And then after that, you've got, I don't know, probably two and a half hours to get to the Tri-Cities, Kennewick, Pasco, Spokane, probably three, four hours away, Seattle's three, four hours, whatever it is. It's all out. It's far. So you have to be self-contained largely. Um, and that was an interesting thing to see that that the all of these people – all these thousands of trailers with all the trucks that tow them, all the bikes, and every bike is festooned with crap. Like, awesome. All off-road stuff. So, you know, most of these bikes, if they're good enduro, you get the normal amount of stuff that comes on them, but everybody plays with their bikes and adds a bunch of shit to them. So that was really cool to see. All the gear, all the helmets, I was like, this is good indication that the industry is okay. Even if you know, not a lot of, maybe bike sales are down, but people are still riding. People are still doing events like this. And this event needs to be broadcasted. Like it's worth, it's worthwhile to come to as a spectacle. As we were leaving one night, I'm, I'm watching over from the highway of all of these trailers and it, it was reminiscent of Burning Man, like straight up reminiscent of it. Cause it's that big. It's that, that scope is like, wow, this could have, you could have a little mini city here if you wanted to. But it was really cool to see all the kids all the females uh, uh, riding, but lots of kids. Good for the industry. All of it's good for the industry. That was what made me happy about it was weirdo bikes, people spending their money in weird places, not necessarily going for the cookie cutter crap and wanting to go ride their bike for 25 miles off road or even the local there. I mean, you could just get on your bike and go ride straight out of this pit area right into the hills. You're just watching it for hours. People are just cruising around. It's a little dangerous because it's total Mad Max. It's reminiscent of the road warrior. Like when you're, if you think about the hills outside of that, of that compound in the road warrior where there's just wild people riding around outside in the desert that's kind of what it looked like it was really interesting it kind of sounds like to me like what you're describing is exactly what people have described the french grand prix yeah for motor gp like at le mans like because the the racetrack is like this huge facility and in the infield is basically a fairground yeah you know complete with ferris wheel and everything and there's sure. you know it becomes a tent city over the weekend and it is 24 hours a day Party, noise, craziness, drunkenness, shirtless French men just roaming around in packs like like a weird French Mad Max. But I think I think <laughs> not it's, like t- it's tough Man. to say. Yeah. Burning Man's got some pretty. We eclectic, gotta go. Uh, we gotta figure this out. I have no desire to go. No, no, it's not my jam. I want to go there. I want to go to Mons. I want to go wherever the noisemakers are. I want to feel. Oh, that. you mean you mean Le Mans for for GP? I yeah, thought you yeah. meant Burning Man. 
Yeah. No, no, no I mean no, no. Le Mans for, for yeah. GP. Oh, yeah. I'm Dane. I want to go to Le Mans for Le Mans, the 24-hour. I'd love to see that. That'd be cool, sure. too. That'd be super cool. Because I'm sure it's very similar, right? Maybe not exactly, but it would be sure. So either way, this this was really rad. And one of the coolest things was I was in the middle of chatting up a, a customer after having, they, they rode the bike and they were stoked on it. We were chatting and this person walks up to my coworker, Christian, was like, hey, is 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 Quentin from the Two Enthusiasts podcast here? And I'm like, I look up and I'm like, what the heck? Because it's really, it's not exactly our demographic. And and sure enough, um, the, the, these two dudes had ridden from Colorado to do this race. And that, they were out of all the people that we talked to, they had come from as far as, as anybody. Um, so that was a really impressive, uh, that was an impressive thing to see that they, they both, uh, they both come to that just for that race and then decided, figured out a way to find me. That was really cool. So yeah, so Bill and Bill Hitchcock and Eric Reed or Rid, I don't, I don't know how to, it's ROID. They had, they had spent apparently many, many hours in the car listening to us. And there was a bit of a weird cognitive oh, dissonance thing when bastards. he when he got right. That's what I say. I'm like, <laughs> how did you not run off the road? Like, at, you know, fall asleep at the wheel style. But he was pretty stoked. And well, and if they're doing the drinking game, yeah, that's not good. That's no bueno. Definitely not. They, they definitely heard of a lot of Ducatis. So it was really cool to interact with them. And they were there for the race, and they did the legit race. They weren't there just for the for the dual sport ride. They went and did the race, and that was a a pretty. Uh, pretty heady thing to get involved with. So that was really cool to interact with a, a couple of people that listen to the show. The The race itself on Sunday starts at about nine o'clock. And in the morning? Yeah. That's too early. Yeah. All right. Sure. So the cool thing about it is they line up. And in this case, I think it was between 500 and 750 in the first wave. I mean, it. it's hard to. You, the only thing I can think that, that I can, I can, remix. The only thing I can equate that to is the Ayersburg Rodeo. Yeah. Where they will, they, yep. they whittle down the pack to like 1,500 or 500. Yep. I forget how it is. But then they start sending them off in waves of like 100 at a time. Yep. And it's absolute craziness. Yeah, absolute definitely craziness. So I'm just, I'm just, I have that mental image because that's obviously a Red Bull event. So there's lots of photos and stuff of it. My images of like old, old dirt bike stuff from the, from Southern California, from, no, oh, it's on any Sunday where you might see 100 to 200 people take off through the desert. Well, this is nearly a thousand, or se- even if it's five hundred, who, who dude, cares? Dude, Over two hundred so bikes, yeah, right. And they the way it is, it, it it certainly was. Even in the pits, it was a cacophony. So you stand at the basically there's a neck down point where they come through some flags, and wherever they come through, you get the whole shot award, and you get a thousand bucks or five hundred bucks or something. So the bulk of the people go to that, which is adjacent to the pits, and they start from. My guess is like a mile, three quarters of a mile to a mile away in the desert. And you're looking at them as the line kind of uh, straight in your vision. Tough to see them. They're far enough away. And they, they, they stand behind their bikes a certain distance and they have to run to the bike, start it and go. I didn't get to see that because it's too far away. Right. But you just start, you, you see a cannon go off and then, <laughs> and seriously, like, so a cannon goes off, didn't even hear the cannon. You just see the smoke. Um, and the prevailing winds were gnarly. It was, it was like 35 to 40 miles an hour going the other way. So it was like, mm. uh, and then you see the, you just start seeing the dust kick up and then the, the riders come through and the person that came through, I don't, I don't know the name. I apologize. It was on a Yamaha was 
30 bike lengths ahead of everybody. And then there were two or three that were at the same point after that. And then there were, then, then the whole, the rest of the pack comes through. So to see something like that, somebody at pinned wide open top gear through the desert, obviously had picked a very specific line because they, they, they crossed the whole, the, the, the swath of land at a very diagonal way to get to the, where they were going. They, they're very smart, very impressive, totally rad. Apparently, the normal thing is after all the riders go through that, that area of land is usually dotted with uh, four-wheelers with white flags with red crosses and people have, you know, ragdolled over the place and they have to stop and pick people up on stretchers. Oh, really? It's usually <laughs> apparently pretty bad, but the, the weather had been so good in central Washington for rain as of late that the mo- the the ground was straight up moist. It was it was definitely uh, moist. It was so uh, moist, and it was uh, there was not that much dust, so people were able to pick their lines, and it was really safe. It was good. It was really cool to see. That sounds awesome. All right, we kind of sound like the 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 tourist bureau for Oregon on this episode, but it's cool to see. That's Washington, uh, our, but it's just kind of like Pacific Northwest in Pac- general. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know why I thought it was in Oregon. No, 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 central Washington. So it, it's five hours. Like if you left from here right now, it would be five hours with no traffic to the spot. Um, I would guess it's really similar from Seattle. It's just really far out there. Yeah. And a lot of people think of the Pacific Northwest as being all green and trees and snow-capped mountains, but that's only like a third of of each state. Like Washington, the the third is the wet side. We call it the, the, the locals will call it the wet side. Uh, same with Oregon. Oregon's the ninth biggest state in the nation. It's huge. And a third of it is what is that green and lush and from the Cascades over. But the rest of it's just a big mountainous, high deserty, scrub brushy area. It's the high so desert. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. The elevation isn't that high in Washington, at least where we were at. I would guess it was like 800 feet. It's just that area is, is very interesting geographically uh, because it was part of the uh, the Missoula flood. So the, this gigantic uh, containment of, of water, a lake of some sort back, who knows, eons and eons ago, emptied out and washed this entire area uh, free of all of its topsoil at the time. So it creates some really interesting um, geological formations and the way the rocks are and all that. So it's worth checking out for sure. I got to go next year. Yeah, sure. Maybe or, on the Husky. Or later, yeah, maybe. I maybe. don't know, man. The race, but like the the gentleman that was kind of helping us out was Bill from Skagit Power Sports, which is up in, in uh, northern northwest Washington. He was the one that was like, guys, you got to do this. He's one of our dealers. He sold a bunch of the Altas so far. So he was like, we have to go there. I want to get in, I want to get as many people on these bikes as possible, and this is the place to do it because you can get them all at once. And sure enough, we got 140 test rides, which is very hard to comprehend, but we had a little test track set up that was perfect, and you can just keep them going and bzz, 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 all day long. So he was stoked, and he was like, when I said, dude, I want to go, I want to race this, he was like, no, no, you stop it. That's horrible. You don't want to do it. It's horrible. It's painful. It's it's rocks. He's like, the rocks, they're everywhere. They're horrible, right? He kept on, he was like, you should do the dual sport ride. I was like, oh man. And that just made me want to do it more, unfortunately, because that, that just makes, it just sounds awesome. It's like, okay, I'm going to do the dual sport ride and then maybe then then see how that goes. And if for sure, just enter the race and, and maybe have a different bike for that. Um, Big Tall Brent was out there. He did oh, the, yeah? he did the, on the XR? Yeah. Oh, no, no. He was on his, 
LC4 based KTM. It's like older, maybe 03 or 04. Oh, I, I can't remember it's like what. It's 620 or something like that. I don't, I don't know. It's all one of those weirdos. The, all the Kentucky Trail monkeys look the same to me. They're all orange. And there's so many orange bikes out there. I can see why Husqvarna is doing well, even though it's basically a, a KTM with some fancier stuff on it. Because people just don't want to ride orange. They just want to have something different. So a lot of people have the Huskies because they're, they're beautiful. The white with the blue and the yellow is wonderful. Oh, yeah. And Chris it's not freaking orange. Chris has done a really good job on on the visuals of it, I think there's still a long way to go in terms of like the branding identity of the two and just having a different product. Cause like you said, like a Husky dirt bike is really a KTM dirt bike. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, there are some definite changes. They, they have a better combination of engine and chassis generally. And they also have that composite subframe and a couple other trick bits that make them a little bit higher. It's like the Lexus to Toyota, right? Yeah. Well, it is like the Lexus to Toyota, but I don't think there's enough separation between the two products to really make that uh, example work, that metaphor work, but they're getting there. And, you know, it was interesting to this week to see that uh, Husqvarna is going to have the same fuel injected two stroke technology into yeah. a couple of the Enduro models and surprise, surprise, they're a 250 and a 300, just like the KTM because sure. they're the same bike. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. That, and that kind of like, it makes sense, and I can't fault them from a business perspective, but I do kind of like, all right, guys, it's been a couple of years. Let's see some some differences. It, it's Let's truly some... different, you think? Yeah, I don't know. If yeah, at least on the dirt side. Like, I can I see the differences on the street side, and I see what's coming down the pipe on the street side looking a lot more different, which is great. But, like, on the dirt bike side, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, because I'm such a street-focused rider, yeah. I don't understand and see the changes as readily as, as someone else. But, like, for me, I'm like... Composite subframe, different suspension. It's white instead of orange. No, yeah, nah. the different suspension is really big, and the way they outfit the motor. I was explained that the the motor choices relative to getting the good motor in a KTM chassis with the good uh, linkage style um, frame setup, where you, where the shock linkage is is truly linkage, not just straight rate, is kind of difficult or rare, or you only get that on the six days version or something like that. We should probably dig into that and figure out what the story is. But that more on the Husky side is they they always get the perfect setup of the best enduro engine with the best enduro chassis instead of like this mishmash of both. And then apparently it's it's difficult to sell the Supercross bikes, uh, and they're just they're, they're either not as good or they're just difficult to sell because that market for the type of people that want to go rip and tear on um real you know jump tracks is, is you know so inundated with with the japanese that it's tough to i can sell. see that and i can see that as well it's very very similar to the the normal track day enthusiast that you know has been jixering it up for a long time they have that system down they know it why do they need to have a uh, you know a euro bike that they they they're fine with they go they get the lap times down all they see is extra expense then they don't necessarily want to pose right sure and then like on a bike that you're going to jump and you're going to thrash and you're going to drop and you're going to case yeah. and all these motocross bikes man they don't live a long life like sometimes not, not, don't. If, not if you're not if you're sending it not if you're sending it and not if you have a, one of those old swilly internal combustion engines right that's the problem. They just wear out. Whereas if you had an electric drive, oh, oh. send it. Corporate sellout. <laughs> uh, and with that, Quentin, we need to take a break. Okay, sounds good. 
Uh, Quentin, did you know that Dainese and AGV are the only brands in the motorcycle industry that have a dedicated factory store? Can't think of any other brand store that has, or any brand that has a store where you can do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And where are they? Well, that's the thing, right? So they have three stores right now, one in Orange County, one in San Francisco, and one in Chicago. And I believe next month they're opening a store in Orlando Hmm. and the month after that in New York City. And then by the end of the year, they hope to have a... How many stores is that? Five, six, six, a six store in Los Angeles. Huh. So hitting up those motorcycle markets uh, for sure. The cool thing about it is when you go into a D store, the entire staff there is experts on Dainese and AGV uh, products. So getting fitted for helmets, gloves, leathers, and boots is pretty easy to do. Yeah. You know, you're going to be talking to experts. I didn't know until this was just a couple of days ago because I was getting outfitted for a leather suit. I had always worn a 52, and I'd had a Danny Z 52 for a long time, and it fit fine. I didn't know they made a 52 long. It's called a, a 104, as it turns out. So there's a 104 size. Good to know. And I put it on, and it was like, oh, well, I should have had that all this time. Sure enough, it's the suit that I wear. It's good. So having experts that, that work uh, with the Danny Z product is one thing, but to be able to go into one of the D stores and have – uh, uh, one of the employees there uh, outfit you as of note. Yeah, someone that eat, breathes, sleeps Dainese AGV products, and they know they know what you need, they know what they've got, and they set you up right on. Yeah, they don't sell kickstands though. That's a problem. They should. We should talk about this. Like, I think I think that should be like when yeah. we renegotiate this thing. Sure. Be like, okay, but you guys gotta make a, a kickstand. A yeah, Dainese with the carbon from your helmet be, at least, pro- right? Probably like they probably call it something weird, like a D stand. Yeah. D stand, but it probably you know what like we talked about a few shows ago where like it goes, oh the telescoping yeah, D tel- stand telescope. that would be awesome right I'd be so stoked let's patent that okay Lino get on it <laughs> all right let's get back to the show Moto America is looking for track volunteers this is a story we posted asphalt and rubber what like a week ago um and I, I literally posted it for the reason where I think like this is one of those things that like if you're a motorcycling enthusiast and you've got the time and the desire like this is a great way to go support our sport. Because, you know, God bless the people of Moto America, but I don't think they're turning a profit. Yeah. And this is one of the ways that they're trying to cut expenses is to obviously have volunteer uh, track people, you know, so corner workers, marshals. I think there's people in hospitality, people in marketing, just people helping out in the parking lot. Um, they're looking for motorcycling enthusiasts to come out and, and help, you know, make these events happen. And, you know, they've got a slew of, races this year i think they have 10 races this year on the calendar so uh there's a lot of opportunities around the country for for local people to get involved with road racing at a professional level and and you know truth be told i don't think there's a better seat in the house than from a corner worker station like you're you're doing work and you've got a responsibility but you're going to experience racing in a way that most fans don't get to you'll learn a lot and even though you're not going to learn a ton by sitting there and watching it from from one corner just the whole experience of interacting with track personnel being at the track, seeing all the stuff, that's part of what you have to do when you get a new racer's license at any any uh, club organization, for sure. You're, one of the things that most of them do, if not all of them, is, is force you in order to get your expert license is you have to at least spend a certain amount of time at any given corner for a while uh, with corner workers and help. So that's a good thing. Uh, I don't know. Some cases they might want you to be um certified for cpr or something like that i doubt it but i think that's for th- i think the, i think those roles at least for moto america those roles are probably being filled by professionals but they're looking for people to wave flags and to um 
You, know, you need like tire marshals in the pit box okay. that, that follow the tire around to make sure yep. it's the right tire. And there's yep. very strict controls on, yep. Control on how tire, those sure. are worked. Um, people for working for the technical, technical director, we need grid marshals. Um, and if you got something like that, that's gnarly. You get to be like in the pits and in, in, in the midst of all the stuff. So I highly recommend that. But as a technician, I'll just say, be careful what you do when you're there. Just try and be a fly on the wall. Don't get in the people's way. All right. That's one thing that you get a, a young, enthusiastic track marshal uh, that was volunteer. And that happened a couple of times. And the, all they want to do is BS. And it's like, ah, you know, you got to mind your job. That's actually really critical. Uh, so keep keep on it instead of, you know, you're, you're there to work. Yeah, you're, you got to go sure. in with the mindset that you're there to work. But I think. Man, like I'm just thinking from my perspective, like I think any motorcycle enthusiast should do this at least once yeah. just to have that experience and just be able to understand too, like what that, that job entails. Cause I know when I go to like a, a Moto GP round or a superbike round and even like the few Moto America rounds, well, I don't think I've Moto America or AMA rounds that I've been to, you know, just seeing how the marshals and the, the corner workers, what they have to do and what they have to go through. Cause we're right there standing right next to them with our cameras, you know, taking photos of the bikes yeah. go by, like, you know, it's, it's of note and it's, uh, it's definitely a thankless job. I was, well, I wouldn't say thankless, you know, the riders obviously come by and wave and everyone's, you know, always appreciative of them, but it is, it is a job that I think that goes overlooked a lot by fans. Let's put it that way. A couple of my um, friends every year for MotoGP since I think almost since the inception and then subsequently any year for Superbike have been volunteering with Scramp if Scramp is still the entity. Scramp is still the entity. Uh, that uh, takes care of Laguna Seca. So yeah. they would volunteer. And the earlier that you get in, the, the quicker or the better of the spot you can get. So they, uh, Bruce and Kat, these are rad people. I've, I've talked about Malabruce before. He's the he's the dude that has a bunch of Bomotas. He's the one who has a Tessie. So he's just, they're just deep enthusiasts. And they're car fans, too. So he raced Sports 2000 uh, in SCCA, which is, I think, a Renault-based uh a closed wheel two liter sports car so he's just all around enthusiast and they would um i think they might have gotten started in the car realm but definitely because they're bike fans they would do it you get an area to camp um you, so they would put up post up their trailer on the back side of turn two essentially if you go over the hill from from where turn two is down as you kind of meander down to uh whatever road highway 68 or whatever so they get the spot there and they wake up in the morning and get a, a, a some sort of a, a group ride up to the to the track and then they go and hang out at the track all day and they track marshal and they they throw flags if necessary or they they spend a lot of time at on the grid because they want to see all the cool stuff. So they get to see all the MotoGP bikes as they're getting warmed up and as they're getting, uh, you get to see the riders really close up and personal. It's a neat thing for them. And this is not exactly the same deal that, that we're, we're talking about with this, but it's similar. And the fact that certain people do this on purpose is of note. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the, the big takeaway for me is if, if we want to see motorcycle racing to can, to prosper and continue to prosper, we as fans need to get a little bit involved. Yep. So I like that Moto America put out the call, and I and I hope a lot of people answer it. We saw a couple of people on the site mention in the comments that they they volunteered. So I think that's awesome. Thank you for doing that, and hopefully more of you do so. Let's um, let's figure out a way to do it. We should do it. We should do it. That would be like cool. Sonoma, I yeah. think, is around this year. That would be neat. I would love to go. They're going to uh, a track that's near and dear to my heart out in Pennsylvania. 
Beaver Run is what I know it by. I believe now it's the Pittsburgh International Raceway. They changed the name. AMAs, or sorry, Moto America is going there? Yeah, because they just redid the facility. It's a longer, they added to the track. Huh. So so this is one of my favorite tracks that I really cut my teeth on as a track day enthusiast when I lived out, out east. And I've been itching to get back to it because it is literally, I think, one of the best kept secrets in America. Uh, it's such a fun track to ride. I'd one, heard about it, but I never heard anything. Terrain. It's not like a big track. It's not fast, but it, it flows. There's a couple really good kind of technical sections that, you know, if you want to go fast through them, you need to kind of figure them out. And yeah, it's just a it's just a good fun track. When is that? If you're asking me, like okay. I've got the calendar in front of me. Well, I, I thought maybe because uh, later, you have your later, computer later. open in front of you, I thought maybe. Oh uh, yeah, I mean this is because I'm, t- I'm doing the show notes. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, right. right? Because yeah. we 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 realized how horrible your show notes are, and I had a pick up the slack um i think it's later in the summer but we should look into one of the races if it doesn't have to be that one that'd be an interesting thing to do for sure it'd be cool i i that, that's when the thing the when the, the moto america thing came out i had that idea that we should do something like that was, we should talk to moto america and be like all right post this up somewhere cool right and then we'll totally we'll do do a podcast from turn two you know that'd be neat that'd be fun <laughs> yeah, hey there we go live podcast yeah all right like josh josh hayes josh hayes interview <laughs> interview no cameron cameron no Roger Lee, JD, Roger Lee, JD Beach, come on, JD Beach, you're gonna send it. <laughs> um, you you mentioned something in the middle of your when you were talking that that trickled my mind when you're talking about Malibus. I got an email from the guys at Virus. Yeah. After we did that show, because yeah. I got I got a bug up my butt. I was like, I I got to do it. I got it. I'm gonna pull the trigger on that on that nine eight six. Sixteen grand. That's the thing. So it was sixteen grand, and I got an email back from. Uh, Marco Garavelli from from Virus, and he's like Jensen. The pricing when they announced this changed, and it's not sixteen thousand euros for the kit anymore. It's about twenty eight thousand euros for the kit. And that the- makes more sense, straight up. I think that's why we were like, "Oh my god!" Right. Can you imagine getting all of that stuff for only blankety blank? Well, you would right? have. And 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 I, give me a second because the street bike has gone from twenty five ish to thirty eight thousand euros. And the reason is for that because they were going to do the kit and they were going to do the street bike at a, a lower spec and. Uh, uh, it, it was going to be like fiberglass bodywork okay. and wouldn't be like a self-supporting carbon thing. Got it. Okay. And what they ended up doing was when they started looking at it was like, well, why are we doing that with like all the headlights and stuff? Like what we should be doing is, you know, send it. <laughs> and and now the street bike spec version of the bike is basically the race bike, the Moto2 race bike. Yeah. With, with the some headlights. Yeah. yeah. So that's the a bit price, of a bummer. The price kind of got changed on that. And I kind of want to write it back and be like, can I, can I still get it with a fiberglass? Can, can we do that? Because like do 16, it? I was cool when it was 16. But like 28, I don't know. Like I'm going to have to like cut a kidney out of Quentin when he's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, no. But but I wanted to clarify that and and to put that out in the space because I don't think it's something that's well known. But it was interesting to, to, to have a little back and forth with Marco about it because um, – you know, I really like what that company is doing. I like the the idea that they have of let's create something that's different in the space. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it does make a little bit more sense. You're like, oh, okay, those prices. Because, like, I know, like, the, the, the 984, the 985 models, like, they can get into six figures pretty quick with yeah, yeah. the different stuff that you can spec on them. So it is a little bit more in line with kind of where their pricing has been in the past. Do it. Still do it? You think yeah, so? Yeah. Let's just double down on it? Sure. All right. You don't need a Desmond Sidichi. It's 
fuck it. No, overrated. It's like it's got like way too many pistons. <laughs> Ducati will never make a V4 sport bike. Nah. Never. Ever. No. Ever. It'll never happen. Are you quoting Claudio? No, I'm quoting like everyone that replied to my April Fool's article. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going like Hmm. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So you posted that just because the joke of the Quattro Formaggi. Right. And people right. were like, They're oh. like, oh, obviously it's an April Fool's joke because no one will ever make, Ducati will never make a V4. Oh, which is funny because they're totally going to make a V4. They're totally going to make a V4. Um, oh, we got to talk about, we got to talk about this. I don't know how much you can talk about it. So maybe I just have to talk about it. Okay. Because um, I know one of the rules that you and I made when you went to Alta is we weren't going to talk about any of your competition. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But I, I, we at least have to make mention. Mugen, Mugen time, then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this Mugen electric motocross bike that they um, debuted. It was kind of like a show bike. It's for the Tokyo Motorcycle Show, and it shouldn't surprise us because that's when Mugen always debuts its Isle of Man TT racer. That's its kind of official unveiling, and and that came out as well, and it looks awesome, and. That could be the bike that Guy Martin gets his first TT win on, you know, which I if think would be. If it's not one of the Honda Superbikes. Well, it could be. Maybe. Oh, I don't think the Honda Superbikes are going to go too well at the TT. Yeah, uh, dude, TT is a different world, right? It's a different world, but like, understand. They don't have to be that good. Understand. No, like, they don't have to be. You say they don't have to be that good. It is just, it's a different style of tuning. And that bike has got a lot of data behind it. And Honda's got a lot of, you know, Honda Motor Europe has got a lot of resources behind it. I, I, I do agree. I think Honda's got a good package, but you know, for the last two years, you know, we've been hearing from, from John McGinnis about, you know, you know, if I, I gave it everything else on the track and if I didn't win, it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the Honda Superbike platform at the TT has been a limiting factor in their success. And the, the hope was that Honda was going to come out with a whole brand new bike and that would, you know, give them the leg up and having seen what we've seen in World Superbike and, kind of seen what the reaction has been from from journalists at the press launch. Yeah, it's better, but I don't know in a racing package if it's going to be what McGinnis and company needed it, to, to make the next gonna step. Is it going to beat Dunlop on, isn't he on a Suzuki now? Yeah, he's on the Jixer. And if is it going to beat him? No, that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be a thing. Because he's on fire. And, that's, and that'll be a huge part of it. If Hutchinson, if Ian Hutchinson finds his mojo, because he could totally wreck some shop. He, he did it last year. Um, and if, and if Mickey D is on his game, I think it could be, could be very tough, but, um, in the electric category, I think you have to put your money on Mugen, uh, that Shinden bike, I, I think it'll easily break the one, the 120, uh, mile, mile per hour barrier, the, the average lap speed, which is insane when you think about that. Yeah. The average speed yeah. around 37 plus miles, 120 miles an hour. I think they'll easily break that. We could see like close to 125, which is solid super sport pace. Um, so really interesting to see that progression. Um, and Guy Martin's no no slouch, but he's been he's been out of the game for a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see. But it could happen if if McGinnis has a a mistake or if there's a technical or something happens, that could be Guy Martin, and that could be it. That could be the thing he's been chasing. 
which is an interesting storyline to follow for this upcoming. I didn't TT. realize knew he was going to be on that. Yeah, he's he's full because well, he's all Mugen Honda. will be very quick to tell you they are not Honda. This is not a Honda sponsored thing. This is very separate. These are their own engineers. I have to say that otherwise I'll get an angry, angry email from from Mugen about it. But uh, you know he's he's full factory. You know Honda Superbike Super Stock. I don't think he's on their Super Sport. I don't think they're doing a Super Sport. Um. But then obviously on the Mugen as well, partnered with John McGinnis throughout the whole thing. Where's the jump on the team? I know there's a few jumps, but what's the famous most? The uh, Balof Bridge. Balof Bridge. Is he going to send it? He's going to send it off Balof Bridge. Those, I mean, carbon fiber frame. Oh. You know. Oh. Heavy bike. It's like 550 pounds. Crack a Jawea. I mean, you know, the, (laughs) the videos I've seen and I'm trying to think, was I... When I was there, the electrics didn't really send it over the bridge. And I think it was because of the weight. Yeah. But I think that is something over time that has changed. Don't quote me on it. I haven't been to the TT in a few years. And a lot has changed in that time frame, especially for the electrics. But when you see the gas guys go over it, they send it. Mm-hmm. Are you silly? They're silly. I've got a couple of cool photos of, of guys jumping. And one of them is John McGinnis, actually. And you see the whole bike get compressed and the bodywork scrapes yeah. and on the ground. There's it's a couple the floor, different man. theories of like, should you land with both wheels at the same time or should the rear wheel land first to help kind of ease it in? There's a lot of worry about um, snapping the chain. Interesting. It's an interesting kind of like technical conversation to have about how you go over Balaf. I want to go. We need to go. That means that needs to be a 2018 Two Enthusiast podcast spot. It's so cool. The problem when you go to the TT is like once you go, you want to go every year after that. You get hooked. Uh, and okay. It's, and it's like 10 days long. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. I think I might be able to pull that off next year. There's worse problems. There's worse problems that happen. Sure. But I want to go back to this dirt bike because it is, it's silly looking, right? It, I it, can't comment. <laughs> it, so I don't know what the, the, the motivation was to, to dress a motorcycle up like a dinosaur's skeleton. I guess the commentary is that like uh, bikes run off gasoline, which is made from petroleum, which is made from dead biomass, which is basically dinosaurs. <laughs> and so like, here's this dead dinosaur. That's an electric bike. That's replacing the gas. Like I can, I guess that's it. I guess, I, I guess I just talked it out, but it's a really weird, it's a really weird look, you know, cause it's, it's, it's like this rib cage of a frame, which I actually think is a really clever idea. You know, if you, if it didn't have like the kind of gaudy paint work that almost looks like camo, I think that would be a cool, a cool frame design. It might actually even make sense from like a rigidity structural point of view, the way they have it. But it's a very interesting motorcycle to look at with carbon uh, disc brakes and like the top of the line Nissan components, which is very Mugen. You know, you look at there the Shinden and it's got all the super bespoke. They make 10 of calipers from Nissan and it's the same thing with the Showa suspension. But it'd be very interesting to see it run, assuming it is a runner. Uh, it's always hard, kind of hard to tell with electric bikes because you just kind of make a case and call it a battery pack and you don't really know. Yeah, and looking at it straight up, I, I mean, I, there's certain things I would imagine that when we were talking about electric bikes where we'd have to be careful because I work for Alta. But in this one, yeah, it's a direct, it would be a direct competitor, but it's not a, it's not for sale. It's yeah. not, it's well, not that's production. Why I find it so interesting. That's why I want to talk about it. And probably why we have to kind of gag you a little bit, because why would Mugen show off this bike if they, or Honda, weren't 
getting closer to releasing something like this into the production space? Why show off this technology? Why go through all the work? Assuming, assuming this is a runner, why go through all the R and D to develop this? If the end goal isn't a production model in the next, I don't know, three model years. I think that's really interesting. I think that's really interesting. And I'm not sure it's one of the Japanese shows and I always get it confused which one it is. Cause there's, there's different names for them. But I want to say the Tokyo Motorcycle Show, if you show a bike at it, it is something that's going to go in production. You can't just show like a, an art concept or a fanciful concept. It has to be like, here's our, our bike. It's like how the, um, the RC213 VS came out. Like this is our prototype and now it's a concept and now it's a production bike. Like the bike never really changed from, from any of those showings. It was the same things, but it had to like kind of escalate up honda's production schedule to to get each name and i feel like that's what this could be which is very interesting to me uh i feel like we a year from now we could be looking back at this and being like that was the start of of big red or mugen getting serious about uh an electric dirt bike offering which is good for the space he nods he nods yeah no i i'm all about competition and i think for um also to grow, we're going to have to have it straight up. They're going to have to be put. The engineering is going to have to be pushed. That's yeah. my comment on it. That, that's all I can comment on. It'd be, it'd be cool to see them race against each other. Sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the ultimate goal. The thing is with Alta, we don't want to race against electric bikes. We want to race against the gas bikes straight up. We want to be able to go head to head. So that is a, a heady thing. Um, no pun intended, and that's what. But that seriously, that's a that's a distinct goal. That's a we want to get to that point. Goal. We have to. We know that in order to to make a dent, right? So, on a scale of one to ten, the name Erex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That e- one. That I one don't like that because that one would be a little tough. Does that doesn't make me Erex <laughs> or Erex a lot? <laughs> Erect in that corner, he erects in that corner over there, erects on the straightaway. That one, that's probably one of those names that didn't quite translate through. Is it, is it seriously called the Erex? Oh, yeah. Oh, my that's God. That's where the dinosaur theme comes from. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't even notice that. I thought you were totally kidding with no. me. That is even better. No. So Erex, Erex a lot. Uh, if you know what, if the bike doesn't perform well, it gets shunned, it's an erection. <laughs> <laughs> also i also appreciate that the rear wheel stand is shaped out of bones yeah like they went they went full send it on that they are weird man so weird With little eyes but well, is it similar to like the mugen uh road race bike thing that has the weird the shinden thing the shinden has eyes on the it the character yeah and, yeah i like that I, you know what Fair they're enough. getting crazy with it yeah you gotta appreciate that yeah i do i i just love that it's going on in the space i like seeing more um people getting involved you know, Mugen's definitely made a name for itself at the TT Zero event. Um, they're dominating it. It'd be great to see <clears throat> some other brands go and race against them. I don't think we'll see Brammo. We're certainly not going to see Victory, uh, but I don't think the <laughs> Brammo guys are going to be there this year because so Brammo still has the the motorsports thing. They didn't sell that to Victory. So Craig Bramshire still owns the rights to the Brammo Motorsports Yeah, side. the the yeah, they're and the bike that they were uh raced the Impulse RR. Yeah. That was just licensed to Victory huh. for for their use and branded as theirs, but it's they still own that huh. is my understanding. So, 
You could see them back at the TT in future events, um, but I don't think it's on the cards for this year, which is a shame because I want to see, you know, after Motos is left, you know, there's kind of this vacuum. I love seeing that, like, who's going to win it? Is it going to be Mugen or Motos is? And we need that kind of storyline to come fill back in. And we had it a little bit with Victory, and obviously Victory's demise has put an end to that. Um, so I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the TT organizers feel the same way. And though, for those that don't know Mugen, I mean, it's kind of a weird story. It's Soshiro's son, right? right? So we should we should probably delve into that sometime because that's actually probably an interesting story. But it's of note that early 80s dirt bikes had Mugen parts on them. So there's a that was that was the start was the dirt bike from what I know. I apologize if I'm um, I'm incorrect, but you know it ended up going into car tuning and. And bikes, like road race to a point, but mostly at the start was uh, really trick CR 125s and 250s. I mean, they they follow the story of Honda. Honda started out with bikes post-World War II, slowly started making affordable, cheap cars for for Western markets. And as that gained popularity, you know, Mugen followed them along too. So, yeah, maybe they're better known for like Honda Civic, you know, coffee can, exhaust cans and all that craziness. Yeah, but um, they definitely have a history that is just as storied as as Honda's, and that might be why they said, "All right, well, let's do it. Let's do a dirt bike thing because they'll be going back to our roots or whatever." I think it's cool. I'm all about it. I think with that, Quentin, we should probably wrap up this show. I want to thank Dainese and AGV for for sponsoring this episode of the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. It's motorcycle gear that's inspired by humans. We appreciate their support. You should too. And uh, we'll see about that whole. D kickstand, D stand, D stands up, man. D stands up, D stands up, D stands up and gets out of here. <laughs> like All that? Right. Yeah. You like good, that? Yeah. yeah. Good All talk. Right. Good talk. See you out there. Later. And we hope to see you there in Austin with us. Yeah. And if it's in person, you can, you can jeer us. So it'll be steers and jeers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's just move right along from there. I have <laughs> I have no words to to follow that up with. I don't even want to be associated with any of that. <laughs> Austin live live music capital of the world. <laughs> Kick stands up. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay, we can. We, I think we can wedge that in at the front. Okay. Maybe not the tears and jeers. Tears <laughs> and jeers, man. Are you kidding me? It's good. <laughs> That's what we're going to name the live show. It's That's what I thought. It'd be steers and cheers, right? Oh, man. Oh, dude. There's dude. nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Something wrong with you, though. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, I think it is called Sticky Monkey. <laughs> Sticky Monkey? Oh. There's a monkey. <laughs> <laughs>